Well, thank you. It's great to be here in Texas and uh, great to be here in Austin. Really appreciate so much Pastor Danny, his leadership here, and the privilege and honor it is to be able to speak to you this morning and also this evening. You know, he mentioned to you that I was from Australia, and one of the things I find in America that with an Australian accent, I have people tell me, it doesn't matter what you say, we just love to hear saying it. So <laughs> I can basically get away with anything, right? Well, I come from a ministry called Answers in Genesis. We're an apologetics ministry. Now, apologetics doesn't mean we apologize for our faith. We're going to be doing apologetics, practical apologetics tonight. The word apologetics comes from that Greek word apologia in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give a defense or give an answer. It's translated defense or answer. It really means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. And I believe that the ministry of Answers in Genesis is raised up in this era of history to equip Christians to defend the faith against the secular attacks of our day and to challenge non-Christians concerning the truth of the Bible. In fact, basically, I could summarize the message this way. The history in the Bible is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. And you know, many people, when they hear of Answers in Genesis, think, think oh, those people, they're on about creation evolution or they're on about the age of the earth or they're on about fossils. I want you to go away this morning really understanding that what we're on about as a ministry is the authority of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. That's why we do what we do. We're an evangelistic ministry. As I say to people, there's no point converting someone to be a creationist because creationists end up separated from God forever just like an atheist if they don't believe in the Creator as Lord and Savior. So our heart is evangelism. Our heart is to see people saved. Back in 2007, we opened in the greater Cincinnati area, in northern Kentucky actually, we opened the Creation Museum. Just for interest, how many of you have been to the Creation Museum? Now, that's pretty good for Texas. The rest of you need to repent of your sin pretty quickly <laughs> and get to the Creation Museum. But I want to show you a short video because it really leads into what I want to talk about today in a very special way. But I want to show this video. It's a little out of date. It says one and a half million people have come to the Creation Museum. Actually, now it's about two million people have come through the Creation Museum. And it's really challenged people all around the world. The acclaimed Creation Museum and outreach of Answers in Genesis is a one-of-a-kind museum filled with animatronic characters, interactive videos, a spectacular planetarium, a special effects theater, and many other world-class exhibits. Since its opening in 2007, the Creation Museum has welcomed over 1.5 million guests at its 49-acre location in the greater Cincinnati area. The state-of-the-art 70,000-square-foot museum brings the pages of the Bible to life, helping answer the skeptical questions that cause people to doubt that the Bible is true. The dramatic finale of the museum is the last Adam film, where guests experience the glory of God's redemptive plan and hear a clear and powerful presentation of the gospel message. Since the museum's opening, we have heard countless testimonies from adults and young people whose lives have been changed through a museum visit. Now discover how it might change your own life for Christ. Plan your visit at creationmuseum.org and prepare to believe. 
And actually, uh, since we've opened the Creation Museum, we've also added a lot of things to it, even since that video was done. And you'll notice it's every bit the quality you'd expect from Disney World or from Universal Studios or the Smithsonian. After all, shouldn't Christians do things for God and, and in a professional and first-class way? We've also added an incredible Dragon Legends exhibit. You know, just as there are flood legends all over the world, why are there flood legends? Because there was a real flood, Noah's flood. There are dragon legends. Why are there dragon legends? Well, many of the descriptions and carvings, when you look at those dragons, remind us of some of the dinosaurs. And so that's an interesting issue to look at. We also just opened a world-class insectorium. A real man called Dr. Crawley donated these insects to us, world-class collection of insects. We call it Dr. Crawley's Insectorium. And it's all to teach people the truth of God's word, looking at variety, looking at design. We even have an animatronic scientist called Dr. Arthur Pod who teaches people about insects, lots of biblical programs. And of course, we have our beautiful gardens. We have a manuscript display that the Green family from Hobby Lobby actually put in as well, and that changes uh, every six months. But the, the Creation Museum, it's not just about creation evolution. It's really a walk through the Bible. It's a walk through what we call the seven, seven seas of history. It's a walk through creation, creation, perfect creation, creation in six days, and then God made man and he made woman. Corruption, the entrance of sin and death when Adam sinned against God and so death came into the world. By the way, death is a consequence of sin. The Bible calls death an enemy. Yet if you believe in millions of years, if you as a Christian believe in millions of years, the idea of millions of years came from the belief the fossil layers were laid down millions of years before man, but the fossil record is full of death, evidence of disease like cancer, brain tumors, thorns. How could all that exist before sin? We'll come back to that a little later on this morning. And then, that, so that's corruption, the entrance of sin and death. Catastrophe, the flood of Noah's day. By the way, if there really was a global flood, as the Bible records, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. You know what you find? Billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. Actually, the very evidence that's used as evidence for millions of years, most of that we're saying is actually evidence of the flood just a few thousand years ago. Then confusion, Tower of Babel. God gave different languages. And because he gave different languages, they developed different people groups, not races. There's only one race. Even the Human Genome Project, when they mapped the human genome back in the year 2000, said, guess what we found? There's only one race. Wow, who would have ever thought of that? But of course, they're really confirming the Bible from our perspective. And so there's only one race, which means we're all sinners because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, which means the gospel, Christ's cross consummation, the gospel is for all tribes and nations. And that's why we take the gospel to the whole earth. And think of how they're connected. A perfect creation, it'll be perfect again in the future. Sin and death entered the world. That's why God's Son stepped into history to be one of us, to be our relative uh, to be the God-man, to die on a cross, because death was the penalty for sin, to conquer death, be raised from the dead, offers a free gift of salvation. The flood of Noah's day, a judgment because of man's wickedness, but at the same time, God had Noah build an ark of salvation, and Noah and his family had to go through a doorway to be saved. God's son stepped into history to be the door to for us to be saved. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he'll be saved. The Tower of Babel reminds us we're all descendants of Adam. That's why we're all sinners. That's why we're all in need of salvation. 
And so what we do at the Creation Museum and what our ministry is all about and really what we're doing here today and doing more of tonight is to walk you through that history to help you understand that history is true. What about the skeptical questions? What about the people who say, wait a minute, Noah couldn't fit all the animals on the ark and how do you explain the different colours of people and doesn't science prove evolution and those sorts of questions. What about the supposed millions of years? Well, we walk you through that history, answer the skeptical questions, and then we present the gospel based in that history. And you know, even to help do this, it's interesting, we Christians can have fun too, can't we? <laughs> Just like the world does. Well, we had a company come in recently who love our ministry and said, we want to help you get more youth groups there, more teenagers, broader range of people to the Creation Museum. And because they need to hear this message, and they put in the biggest and best zipline course in the Midwest, uh, 27 zip lines, 12 sky bridges, two super zip lines, challenge course. I mean, it's incredible because why shouldn't we as Christians be reaching people that we can and we can show we can have uh, a quality facility that's fun and we have biblical signs through it anyway. But it's all to help the, the generations today understand the Bible is true, the history is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. But you know, my favorite exhibit at the Creation Museum is this one. It's a little exhibit just outside our theater where we present the gospel in a very powerful way. It's a picture of my mother and my father. My father went to be with the Lord 18 years ago. There's his Bible with all his notes in it. A little Noah's Ark he built me many, many years ago because of his love for God's Word and because he knew that uh, it was so important to stand on the truth in the book of Genesis, that true history there. But do you know why that is my favorite exhibit? Because it challenges people. I've seen people stand there with tears running down their cheeks and I go to talk to them and they say, you know what this says to me? What legacy are we leaving our children? Because do you realize the Ministry of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, is a legacy of parents who taught their children to stand boldly, unashamedly, authoritatively on the authority of the Word of God. My father was really an apologist. He didn't use the word apologist, but he was a school teacher. But he was always defending the Christian faith against the liberal attacks of our day. And we were brought up in that sort of home. And you know, because of the stand my parents took in a, in a land, a country, where probably less than 1% are Christians. So I was brought up in a pagan country. That's why when we came to America and people said, why are you going to America? Well, my wife and I had this conviction uh, because we came as missionaries to a pagan culture. And by the way, America is becoming a pagan culture right before our very eyes. But because of the way our parents taught us, then we passed that spiritual legacy on to our children. We have five children, four that are married, one that's single, 25, great car, great job, by the way. Yeah, just... <laughs> I'm getting a little desperate these days, so I like to advertise a bit, but she's a great kid. But we have five children, four that are married. We have 10 grandchildren, well, up until recently. And then just this week, our number six grandchild is welcoming our number 11th grandchild. And we have number 12 coming in December and number 13 in April. But, but you know what's thrilling about all that? What's thrilling is to see our children bringing their children up to stand on the authority of the Word of God. And that's, that's such a blessing to us as parents, to see that spiritual legacy being passed on. Do you know why I wanted to say that to you this morning? Did you know that that's not happening in the majority of instances in America in our church homes? 
You know, statistics are very, very clear. At least two-thirds of young people are walking away from the church by the time they reach college age, and very few are returning. In fact, I wrote a book about that based on research we did with America's research groups called Already Gone. Why are these two-thirds walking away from the church? And I want to talk a bit about that a little later on. But to understand all this, it would be good to go through four passages of Scripture this morning. As we look at the state of this nation, as we look at what's happening in America, as we look at what's happening to generations of kids, and why have a ministry like Answers in Genesis? Why have a program on apologetics? So four verses of Scripture I want you to remember this morning. First one is this, 1 Chronicles 12:32. The sons of Ishkar who had understanding of the times. In their day, they had understanding it was time for David to be king. Do we understand the times we live in? What, what's happening in this nation regarding the marriage issue and the abortion issue? And we see the collapse of Christian morality and what's happening in our Western world? Do we understand the times? 2 Corinthians 11.3, God has a warning for us through Paul. He says this, and I'll paraphrase it for you. I want to warn you, Satan is going to use the same method on you that he used on Eve to get you to a position of unbelief. Be warned. Do you know what that method is? Have you been dealing with that method? Are you equipping your children ready for that method that's going to be used on them? What method is that? Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you take the foundation out from a building, the building collapses. There's a foundation that has come under incredible attack in our world, in our Western world in particular in the last few years. We've seen an incredible attack on the foundation of the authority of the Word of God. 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense, to give an answer. Be prepared to defend the Christian faith. One of the things that I have found is that most Christians don't know how to answer skeptical questions. Most Christians can't defend their faith when the skeptics challenge them. And most Christian parents are not training their children that way. Most churches don't teach apologetics. Let's have a look at these verses of Scripture just very briefly. 1 Chronicles 12.32, Understanding the Times. You know, I'll be in England actually this month. And I've been to England many, many times over the years. And I tell you, my heart is burdened when I go to England. In fact, when I go across Europe, when I go to the United Kingdom, those places are so spiritually dead. Places where there used to be revivals, but are spiritually dead. And I want to show you what the norm is. In fact, it's the norm all across Europe. But most of these pictures are from England. And this is the norm in the United Kingdom. Here is a church building that was turned into a Sikh temple. Here's a church building turned into a rock climbing center. Church building turned into a museum, and this one a theater, and this one an information center, and this one a clothing store, this one a habitat shop, this one a music store, this one a liquor store, this one a nightclub, this one a tattoo and piercing studio. That's what it's like all across the United Kingdom and Europe. And people, it's beginning to happen in America in an increasing way. You know, in England, one of the statistics is this, two-thirds of teenagers don't believe in God. Now, in America, two-thirds of teenagers from the church are walking away from the church by the time they reach college age. I don't think it's going to be long and we're going to get to where England is where two-thirds of teenagers don't even believe in God. That's where we're heading in this nation. I mean, America has been the greatest Christianized nation on earth, I believe. Do you realize you have more Christian resources in America today, right now, than you've ever had in your history? Let me ask you this question. For all the churches, for all the big churches, for all the Christian organizations, for all the Christian radio, TV, for all that's going on in the name of Christianity in this nation, is this culture becoming more Christian or less Christian every day? What would you say? Less Christian? 
Why is not the church touching the culture, shaking the culture today as it did in the past? Because you know what's happened? In many instances, sadly, the church has allowed the culture to invade the church. And I want to address that here this morning. We see two-thirds of young people walking away from the church by the time time they reach college age. We see up to 4,000 churches closing their doors each year in America. Nearly 3 million people are being converted to nominalism and secularism. This nation is in trouble from a Christian perspective. It really is. And we see this sort of thing. Do you know how many children have been killed by abortion in America since Roe versus Wade? 55 million. You compare that to what Hitler did at the Holocaust, and you realize what he did pales in comparison. You think God is just going to stand back and let that happen? Recently, to tell you where this culture is at, in Boulder, Colorado, earlier in the year, a policeman killed an elk. He shot an elk. So you know what the people did? They got together and had a vigil for the elk. They held hands. They held candles. And then they sang a song to the elk. I got that back on. There we are. They couldn't even get the words right. And yet they sang Amazing Grace to an elk. You know what that reminds me of? Romans 1, where they worship the creature rather than the creator. People were more concerned about an elk that gets shot on one day. Do you know how many children were killed in their mother's wombs on that same day in America? It was nearly 4,000. Did they say anything about them? No. And then, you know another sign that this nation is in trouble? If you read through Romans 1, what's a sign that God is turning a culture over to judgment? Of course, about the wrath of God. A sign that God is withdrawing the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. When you read Romans 1, what's a sign that that is happening? It's a sign of homosexual behavior. And the gay marriage issue is permeating this nation like never before. And this is being championed and led by the President of the United States. I mean, he makes that very obvious. I'm not saying anything you don't know. In fact, in his second inauguration address, given this year, he made this statement. Our journey is not complete until our gay brothers and sisters are treated like anyone else under the law. For if we are truly created equal, then surely the love we commit to one another must be equal as well. And by the way, that was setting up this issue to be a civil rights issue. But it's not a civil rights issue. You can't change the shade of your skin or the shape of your eyes or your ears or whatever, but you can change your behavior. That's a behavioral issue. It's a moral issue. And then you, many of you probably realize that the President of the United States is actually the honorary head of the Boy Scouts in America. And before the Super Bowl, in a pre-game interview, the CBS reporter uh, asked him about the gay issue and Boy Scouts. Next week, the board of the Boy Scouts of America is going to vote on whether to end their national band on gays and scouting. Should scouting be open to gays? Yes. And we know that that has gone ahead. But I want you to listen to the next part of the answer, because I, I think many Christians miss what was said here. Why so? 
Well, because I think that, uh, you know, my attitude is, is that gays and lesbians should have uh, access and, and uh, opportunity uh, the same way everybody else does uh, in every institution and walk of life. By the way, did you get that? In every institution and walk of life, which means what? The church. People, there's already moves in Europe and places like that to make it, make it illegal for churches not to marry gays. This sort of thing is happening in America. And then when you see even the church, for instance, Westminster Presbyterian Church, Grand Rapids, Michigan, April 2012, launched the Gay Christian Yes program. And then you read Romans 1, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. There, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for every, even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. I suggest to you that what we're seeing happening in America today is this. When you abandon the absolute authority of the Word of God and you have no basis for right or wrong except what you determine, it sounds like what? Judges 21, 25. In those days there was no king of Israel. Everyone did what is right in his own eyes. That's really a description, I believe, of America today. That's where America's at. Why? Because I want to share with you as we go on here, increasingly America has changed foundation from building its thinking on an absolute authority to saying it's man who determines truth. And of course, once you abandon a basis in an absolute authority, anything goes. So now we have the polygamists talking about the fact that why shouldn't we now allow polygamy? And there's a new term that just came up on CNN News this past week. It's polyamory, which is a mixture of relationships in, in a home uh, with children. It's just, I mean, the perversion that's going on is absolutely incredible. But we need to ask ourselves a question. How did this come about? Uh, I mean, in a culture in America that has been so Christianized in the past, how did this happen? Well, I want to go back to that second verse that I mentioned to you. 2 Corinthians 11.3, a warning God has for us through Paul. A warning that says, I want to warn you, Satan is going to use the same method on you as he did on Eve to get you to a position of unbelief. What was the method that he used on Eve? By the way, you notice, obviously, Paul believed in literal Eve, Correct. <laughs> So we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals God made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Stop right there for a moment. Do you realize the first attack was on the word of God? The first attack was to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. And that doubt would lead to unbelief. And people, that attack has never let up since Genesis 3. God's Word has come under attack ever since Genesis 3. I call that the Genesis 3 attack. And His Word has come under attack ever since Genesis 3. But here's the thing we seem to miss. That attack manifests itself in different ways in different eras of history. What do I mean by that? Well, in Peter and Paul's day, did they have to have uh, answers to questions like, what about carbon dating? Well, no, that was a 20th century invention. But they had to deal with attacks on the deity of Christ and the resurrection and so on. Uh, when Martin Luther was nailing those theses on the door of the church in 1517, did people come up to him and say, that's all very well to nail those theses on the door of the church, but did dinosaurs go on Noah's Ark? Well, the word dinosaur wasn't even invented until 1841. See, he didn't have to deal with those issues. The point I want to make to us is this. 
that did God really say the Genesis 3 attack has manifested itself in different ways in different areas of history? And as you go back and look at history, you'll see as there are particular attacks on God's Word, God raised up people to defend the Christian faith and to be able to answer those skeptical questions and contend for the faith. And you see this over and over again through history. Here's my question to us today. What is the Genesis 3 attack of the era we live in? What is it? I want to suggest to you that the teaching of evolution... Big Bang, millions of years, that permeates the culture and the church around the whole world is the Genesis 3 attack of this age, and most Christians and Christian leaders have succumbed to it. See, I want you to understand how the secular world sees this. Lawrence Krauss is an atheist professor from Arizona State University. And I want you to see how he looks on the teaching of evolution, Big Bang, millions of years. This is an excerpt from a lecture he gave, so listen very carefully. The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get in, into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus, the stars died so that you could be here today, okay? Did you hear what he said? Forget Jesus, the stars died so you could be here today. That's what it's all about. That's how the secularists see the teaching of evolution in millions of years. This gets people to forget Jesus because they know the more you can convince generations of evolution in millions of years, the more you convince them this part of the Bible is not true, ultimately that'll lead them to doubt the rest of the Bible, lead them to unbelief, and that's where they want to get them. And you know, sad to say, many Christians have been helping the atheists in doing this. Now, that's a hard thing to say, but people, if we are undermining the authority of the Word of God, and that's what I want you to understand about all this, and, 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 and I want to challenge you concerning these things to, to explain this in a minute, that really the issues of evolution of millions of years, to many Christians, I mean, I've had people come to me, pastors, parents, say, well, I taught my kids, I taught little Johnny, you can believe in evolution as long as God did it. You can believe in the Big Bang as long as God did it. You can believe in millions of years as long as God did it. And they say to me, what's wrong with that? As long as they trust in Jesus, what's wrong was saying, who cares how, how God created, as long as he did it somehow, the most important thing is to trust in Jesus. What's wrong with saying, God did it that way? And here's my answer. It is not what God said he did. And see, here's the practical, the practical application of that. Mum and dad, yes? You tell me to believe in the Big Bang as long as God did it, yes? Well, the Big Bang has the sun before the earth, and the earth is a hot molten blob until water appears. The Bible has the earth before the sun, and the earth covered with water from the start. Are you telling me God got it wrong? I see people who weren't there, the scientists who are fallible, who don't know everything, who are sinful creatures, whose heart is against God, we believe what they say, but we don't believe what this says. Is that what you're saying? I see we put man's word in authority over God's word. Is that what you're telling me? Mum and Dad, you tell me to believe in evolution as long as God did it. But evolution has man from an ape, man, woman from an ape, woman. The Bible has man from dust and woman from his side. Even in the, in the New Testament, Paul uh, a couple of times reiterates the woman is of the man. The woman is of the man. Are you saying to me that it's wrong in the New Testament, it's wrong in the Old Testament? What you're saying is I trust what man says that God got it wrong. 
You told me to believe in millions of years as long as God did it. But the millions of years came out of atheism in the 1700s and 1800s. It came out of the belief that the layers were laid down over millions of years with the fossils in them. But in the fossil record, it's full of death. It's full of diseases like brain tumors. Wait a minute. Didn't, didn't God say everything he made was very good? Are you calling cancer very good? There are thorns in the fossil record said to be hundreds of millions of years old. The Bible says thorns came after the curse. I get it. We trust man's word, not God's word. What's the battle been ever since Genesis 3? The battle back there was trust God's word or you become as God's. It's a battle between God's word and man's word. That's been the battle since Genesis 3. It's the same battle before us today. And what have we noticed down through the ages? Because the heart of man is the seep above all things and desperately wicked, because we're against God, because of our sinful heart, we are more likely to want to believe that which man says than that which God says. And we succumbed again. You know, people... It's not just the secular world. Dr. Tremper Longman III is professor of biblical studies at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. And I'm sad to say, and we've done the research on this, sad to say what he says here to the students at Westmont College is the norm for Christian colleges, Bible colleges, and seminaries in this nation. Now, there are exceptions, but this is the norm. Listen to what he says. Second, it's equally important to send a message to the youth in the church that the Bible is not at odds with what they are learning in their biology classes about evolution in school. So, generations of kids going to Christian colleges are being told, you can believe in evolution millions of years, that's fine. You know, it was interesting, back in 1987, I, I, I wrote a book called The Lie Evolution. And last year, I updated that, expanded it for the 25th anniversary edition. But when I went back... To, to look at the original edition. I thought I'd better read it and see what I said back then. And, and you know what was interesting? As I was reading the old edition, I thought, wow, I'm still using that argument today. Wow, that argument hasn't changed. Wow, I'm still using that argument against gay marriage today. And then I thought to myself, how, how come the arguments haven't changed? Then I realized, because the Bible hasn't changed. Man's word has changed, but not the Bible. But the other thing I, I, I noticed was this. Back in 1987, I could see so many Christian leaders, seminary professors, pastors, deacons, elders in our churches, so many parents were, were compromising evolution in millions of years and saying to kids, you can believe in evolution millions of years, reinterpret the days, creation, it doesn't matter. And one of the things I said back then was this. Do you realize the more you allow the Genesis 3 attack, did God really say to influence how you view Genesis, the more you take views from outside the Bible and reinterpret it here, a couple of things are going to happen. One is eventually you're going to find these people are going to eventually give up Genesis altogether and give up a literal Adam and a literal Eve. Oh, by the way, that's exactly what's happening. Listen to Dr. Tremper Longman III. My understanding of Genesis 1 and 2 is high-style literary prose narrative leads me to conclude that it's not necessary that Adam be a historical individual for this text to be without error in what it intends to teach. So now we're teaching generations of young people there was no literal Adam, no literal Eve, no literal fall. Who are we? Where did we come from? Why are we sinners? Why is Jesus called the last Adam? How do you explain the gospel? And you know, back in 2011, Christianity Today published an edition called The Search for the Historical Adam, and they were saying that there's an increasing number of Christian academics no longer believe in literal Adam, literal Eve. And you know, the second thing that's going to happen is, too, 
The more that you teach generations of kids, you can take what the world says and reinterpret the Bible here. You can take millions of years evolution, put it into Genesis, reinterpret Genesis. You can reinterpret it here. The more we'll see them starting to do that with other issues. Why not take what the world says about marriage and reinterpret marriage? Which is exactly what we're seeing happening. And you know where it's leading to? There are lots of these videos on the internet. This is just one of them. But this is the norm, again, in our churches. Listen to this young man. ...of how I became an atheist. I was born into a Christian family and indoctrinated as, uh, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school, and I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. So as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So I became an atheist. People, he's one of those two-thirds that are walking away from the church by the time they reach college age. This is the norm of what's happening in our churches across this nation. In fact, even in the Southern Baptists, the Lifeway uh, talks about the exodus from the church. So we had America's research group go out and we asked them to find those two-thirds and do some statistically valid research and find out what's going on. And they did that for us and we published it in the book, Already Gone. I encourage every parent, uh, teacher, teenager to read that. Questions like this. At what age did you really begin to question contents in the Bible? Notice something very important here. 40% were questioning the Bible by the end of middle school and an additional 45% by the end of high school. If you don't believe the Bible, when did you first start to have doubts? 40% by the end of school, uh, end of middle school, another 45% by the end of high school. People, here's the problem. A lot of parents today think, oh, my kids are going to college. Their faith is going to come under attack. I want you to understand, we call the book Already Gone because those kids, in their hearts and minds, two-thirds of them are already gone and they're sitting in our churches. We're losing, we're losing them at a young age. A young age. And for many of us, we've just let our kids watch TV, go to the public schools, whatever they do, and wonder why we've got problems. In fact, let me... Let me uh, summarize the rest of what's going on here. Here's what we found. We found from the research that mostly what we tend to do in our, in our homes is we teach Bible stories. You know what I mean by Bible stories? Jonah and the Great Fish, Feeding the 5,000, Paul's Missionary Journey, Jesus on the Cross, Noah and the Ark, Adam and Eve. And you might say, don't you believe those? Yes. What's wrong with that? The way we teach them. First of all, what does the word story mean? You tell me, what does the word story mean in our common vernacular? Fairy tale. Think about the number of times we say, kids, let's have our Bible story. Kids, the Bible is a book of stories. I'm challenging the church because of the way the culture is at. If you understand the times, we shouldn't use the word story anymore like this. We need to be talking about the record of, the account of, the historical record. The other thing is this. 90% of kids from church homes go to public schools. Now, I know that there are some Christian teachers as missionaries in the system, and by the way, they need our prayers because it's increasingly difficult to be a missionary in that system. I was a missionary in that system. But you can't deny the following, that by and large, even though some individual differences here and there, by and large, the system has thrown God out, the Bible out, prayer out, because we've got the idea that now things are neutral. You know, they don't have religion. People, this is another big problem we've got in our culture. That's a whole other lecture we could do sometime. And that is this. There is no neutral position. What does the Bible say? You're either for Christ or you either walk in light or you walk in. 
So if the public education system as a system is not for Christ, it is, again, you better be aware of that. You know, I've got the biology textbooks that are used in the public schools, and, and a number of them, you know, come out of Texas, as you know, and, I, and I've got them in my office, and you know what they say? Science can only explain things by natural processes. The supernatural is not a part of science. Let me ask you a question. Who decided that? Who determined that science only explains things by natural processes? You know what that is? Let me give you one word for that. I'll tell you what it is. It's atheism. Because what they're saying is we, have, we do not allow the supernatural. It's an arbitrary definition of science. That's a whole other big issue. See, the word science means knowledge. And there's a big difference between observational science, knowledge gained by the repeatable test, what you observe, data you gather in the present that builds our technology, and we can all agree on that, but when it comes to knowledge concerning the past, history, our origins, that's a whole different sort of science. That's called historical science. You see, that's what gets me when people say to me, well, the Bible's not a scientific textbook. Yes, it is. It's a book of historical science. It's history. Right? There's a big difference. See, what happens in our public schools and, and through the media, through the Discovery Channel and so on, you know what's happening? The secularists take observational science and their beliefs, historical science, mix them together and use one word, science, and intimidate the public. But that's a whole other topic in itself. You know what else we found? Most churches, most Christian homes don't teach kids apologetics. Look, I've been traveling around the world for the last 35 years. It doesn't matter what country I go to, when they hear that you're doing a Bible conference and people hear that you believe the Bible, you get asked questions. Let me tell you the questions I've been asked. It doesn't matter what country of the world I'm in. The questions go like this. In fact, we're going to answer a number of these tonight. But they go like this. Well, how do you know there's a God? Well, who made God? Wait a minute. You believe in Noah's flood? There's no way Noah could build a boat like that. Anyway, he couldn't fit all the animals on board. There are too many animals. You believe in Adam and Eve? Where did Cain get his wife? Well, where did the races of people come from? Wait a minute. Dinosaurs disprove the Bible. Carbon-14 disproves the Bible. Hasn't science shown that evolution is true? Put your hands up if you've heard those sorts of questions. Now, keep your hands up for a moment. Look around the room. Do you see all the hands? Do you know why we put our hands up? If you asked those questions in Peter and Paul's day, you wouldn't get that reaction. Why do you get it today? Because people, that's all a part of the Genesis 3 attack. It's all a part of the questions that are being asked today to get people to doubt the authority of God's word at the beginning so that doubt would lead to unbelief. You recognize the Genesis 3 attack. You've heard the questions. Do you know what many Christians say? Well, I don't know the answer to that. That's just a red herring. Don't worry about that. Trust in Jesus anyway, Johnny. But let me tell you something else. The church, by and large, is not teaching apologetics. You know, in a sense... 90% of kids from church homes go to public schools where they're being taught apologetics. The public schools are teaching apologetics. The universities are teaching apologetics. The Discovery Channel, the Learning Channel, PBS, they're teaching apologetics. You think about it. Kids, here's the evidence for the Big Bang. Here's the evidence for millions of years. Here's the evidence you're an animal. Here's the evidence you came from an ape man. Here's the evidence there never was a global flood. Here's the evidence Noah couldn't fit all the animals on the ark. What do we tend to do in our church homes and, and, and our churches? Trust in Jesus. Let's have a story. And we wonder why we've got a problem. See, kids get the idea. Real history we learn at school. We learn stories at church. And you know another part of this? And this is a whole other lecture. You know another part of this? 
Because so many in the church didn't know what to do with Genesis and evolution, millions of years, instead of standing on God's Word, they ignored Genesis. Mostly what you see, even in conservative churches today, I find even in, even in Bible Belt areas where many conservative churches, pastors won't even touch the book of Genesis. And so churches have become places where you learn spiritual things, moral things, relationships. We don't deal with the history that's foundational to all of that. And what happens is generations of those kids go and learn a false history from the world and develop a whole different worldview. And kids get the idea, you do real stuff at church. Uh, sorry, real stuff at school. You do stories at church. In fact, I've been to churches. Oh, I remember once I went to this church and uh, I told some people in the church I was going to talk on dinosaurs. I mean, this little old lady, she just, I thought she was going to throw me out of the church. You had, shouldn't, don't you dare talk about dinosaurs in church. You need to talk about Jesus. She had no idea. Because a lot of the older generation, you know what I find? They think that dinosaurs, fossils, Grand Canyon has nothing to do with church. It's got everything to do with God's Word. Because the Bible is not just a book of spiritual things and moral things and relationships. It's a book of history. And it's the history that's foundational to all the doctrine. But because we gave up our history, kids get the idea the Bible's over here and all these things, other things are over here. That's why I believe kids so love the Creation Museum and the materials we have in Answers in Genesis because it connects the dots. When you start off with a perfect creation, marred by sin, death as a consequence, the flood of Noah, the Tower of Babel, it connects all the dots to enable you to have a right worldview, to understand the world we live in. You know, in Answers in Genesis, because of all this, you know, we produce a lot of apologetics curricula. For instance, we have an Answers Bible curriculum, a three-year curriculum totally integrated, A for apologetics, B for biblical authority, C chronological. It's a three-year program for kindergarten, preschool, right through adult that connects the Old Testament and the New Testament and teaches them how to defend the Christian faith and answer the skeptical questions and teach those doctrine and spiritual things. That's what we should be doing in every area. You know, Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's a barn that had a foundation and when the foundation collapsed, the structure came down. The moral relativism, the collapse of the Christian worldview in America, to me, is, is, is a picture of that collapsing barn because a foundation has been taken out. It's the foundation of the authority of the Word of God. And in this era of history, the Genesis 3 attack on God's Word has occurred in a vehement way at the beginning with the first 11 chapters. That is the Genesis 3 attack of this era we live in. Look, when Jesus was asked about marriage, what did he say? Have you not read, oh, don't you love that statement? The authority of the word? Have you not read? And then he quotes from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. He which made the beginning made the male and, male and female. And said, for this cause shall a man of his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they'll be one flesh. He quotes from Genesis 1.27, Genesis 2.24. You know what Jesus was saying? The history in Genesis that God made a man and made a woman and made the first marriage, and he made man from dust and he made woman from his side, and you become one because your one flesh is the foundation for marriage being one man and one woman. By the way... We better go and tell the President of the United States about this. 
We better tell the senators and congressmen about this. Here's the problem. We've talked to some of those politicians. And you know what their answer is? We say, but Jesus quoted from Genesis. Here's the foundation, the foundation for marriage. Here's their answer. Oh, but the clergy we talk to say you don't have to take Genesis as history. Therein lies the problem. It's a problem from the church. See, we look at the world and we think the world's a mess. People, I want to suggest to you, it's only a reflection of the state of the church and where the church stands in regard to God's word. By the way, not just marriage. Can you name one biblical doctrine of theology, just one, only one, that is not directly or indirectly founded in the first 11 chapters of the Bible? Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why are we sinners? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we die? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we need a new heavens and new earth? Genesis 1 to 11. Why are you wearing clothes? That's interesting. Animals don't wear clothes. Why do we wear clothes? I notice you all are, which is good. God gave clothes because of sin. Guess where that happened? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven-day week? Because God made everything in six millions of years and rested for millions of years. That's why we have a seven-day week. No, we have a seven-day week because of Genesis. God made everything in six days, rested for one, which is reflected in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. We'll talk more about that this evening. You know, I was at a church in Florida, and I said, can you name one doctrine that ultimately is not founded in Genesis? And a man in the audience yelled out, okay, what about the doctrine of election? I looked at him and said, well, you wouldn't need such a doctrine if man hadn't fallen, Genesis 1 to 11. <laughs> that got me out of that one. But do you realize the whole of the rest of the Bible, all of our doctrines, the gospel, it's all founded in the first 11 chapters, and we live in an era of history when those 11 chapters have been given up by much of the church, and the world has attacked those 11 chapters, and we've allowed that to happen. And we haven't equipped coming generations with the answers to stand on the authority of God's word from the beginning. And we wonder why we're losing the coming generations. Now, don't get me wrong. Look, I've had uh, people come to me. You know, when you speak authoritatively in this world, I'm sure you found it. You know, I, it's interesting. When you think, speak authoritatively, people call you intolerant. Have you noticed that? I found the people that claim tolerance are some of the most intolerant people I've ever come across. That's incredible. I mean, I, I mean I, I've had people come up to me and talking about even the gay marriage issue. Well, you've got to allow all views. All right. Well, my view is they're wrong, and what the Bible says here about one man and woman, male and female, is the right view. Wait a minute. You're being intolerant of all these other views. Excuse me. Well, you're not allowing my view. Wait a minute. You're not allowing our view that there's all these views. Well, my view is they're all wrong because I'm judging what I believe against God's word and what God's word says is true. You're being intolerant. No, wait a minute. Who's being intolerant here? You know what it is? It's a clash of worldviews, isn't it? I, 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 atheists come to me sometimes and say, you know, I don't believe there's such a thing as absolute truth. Well, then that statement is not absolutely true, is it? Do you realize atheists always have to be inconsistent? They cannot be consistent. They can't. Because you can't even talk about good and bad and right and wrong. And I have people say to me, so you're saying that if you don't believe in six literal days in a young earth, you can't be a Christian. I never said that. Did I say that? No, I spoke authoritatively about believing God's word in Genesis. Look, let's see what the Bible says here. 
If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, and believe in a young earth, in six literal days you'll be saved. Is that what the Bible says? No, it doesn't. Salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I've had people say to me, so you can believe in millions of years and still be a Christian. Oh, there are many Christians who believe in millions of years. Okay, well, you can even believe in evolution and be a Christian. Oh, there are many Christians I know who believe in evolution. They're still Christians. Well, then it doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. Look, if I was to get into all the evangelical churches in Texas, if I was ever allowed, and I was to get into those churches, and, and, and I was to speak like this, here's what I think would happen. For instance, if I say to you, I, I would assume most of you here this morning would believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. How do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Ultimately, how do you know? I mean, you weren't there, don't have a movie rerun. Where'd you get it from? Oh, you take it as written. Wait a minute. Lawrence Krauss, Richard Dawkins, says a man can't rise from the dead. Shouldn't we take what they say and reinterpret the resurrection, make it a spiritual resurrection or something? Well, no, you can't do that. This is the Word of God. Why not? Because many Christians take their view of origins and reinterpret Genesis. Why shouldn't we take their view of the resurrection and reinterpret this bit? You told kids you can take what they believe about origins and reinterpret here. Now you're telling them, but don't take all of what they say and reinterpret God's Word. Come on, where's the consistency here? You believe in the virgin birth? How do you know? Did you talk to Mary? How do you know? Because the Bible says... But Richard Dawkins doesn't believe in a virgin birth. Oh yeah, but you can't take an atheist and what he says and reinterpret the Bible. Why not? Many Christians take what he says about origins when he wasn't there and reinterpret the Bible. And in fact, if I was to go through Scripture, you believe Jesus walked in water? Yes. How do you know? The Bible says. Do you believe the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and the, and the Red Sea as miracles? Yes. How do you know? The Bible says. Do you believe the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years and their clothes didn't wear out and their shoes didn't wear out, opposite of what we observe today? Well, yeah, it was a miracle of God. How do you know? Because the Bible says. But as soon, you know, or even, you know, do you believe a man was swallowed by a fish and lived in a fish for three days? And he lived and he went and preached to a city? Yeah, how do you know? The Bible says. And as soon as you get to Genesis in this day and age, and you go to most of our churches and Bible seminaries and Christian colleges and Bible colleges, and you say, well, God created in six days, and man was created from dust and woman from his side, and there was a global flood, and death came after sin. And what do you hear? Oh, no. No, because of millions of years, because of Big Bang. No, you've got to take what they say is science and you've got to reinterpret the Bible and you've got to add in here. Wait a minute, you didn't do it with any other place in Scripture. Do you understand what's happened? We have brought generations of kids up in our churches where we've said to them, not every church, of course, but in the majority of instances, this is what's happening. And in our Christian colleges and seminaries, you don't have to take this bit as written at the beginning, the history that's foundational to the whole of the rest of the Bible. You don't take it as written. You take man's ideas that, that are called science when, when there's a big difference between observational science and historical science. What they're really doing is saying, we take man's fallible historical science, man's beliefs about the past to explain life without God. We add it to God's word. We reinterpret it here. But you would never do it anywhere else in the scripture. And we wonder why we have a generation of kids that are saying, did God really say, succumbing to the doubt that succumbs to the unbelief, and they don't trust any of the scripture and they walk away? It's a massive problem. Which brings us to the last verse, always be ready to give an answer. 
One of the problems we've got today is that we haven't equipped generations to defend their faith. And one of the reasons is because I find many parents don't know how to defend their faith. How many of you can answer those questions I reeled off earlier? And you know, we're going to go through a lot of them tonight, actually, to show you it's simple to answer those questions. It's not hard. We can get, if only we would equip people out there with answers, you could, you could be a phenomenal force out there in the culture. Just give you one quick example. Whenever there's a tragedy in America and the issue of death comes up, you've heard this question, how can there be a loving God with all this death and suffering in the world? People, the only way you can understand to answer that is if you understand the origin of death. Guess where the origin of death is? Which book? Genesis. You know, I remember when there was a famous preacher from Texas on television with Hannity when there was a tragedy, I think it was one of the tsunamis, the one that hit Indonesia or something like that, or, and, and, and then there was the wildfires in California where people were killed, and I remember this, this uh, church leader was asked a question by Hannity, so how do you explain death and suffering with a God of love? And I remember the answer went something like this, well, Hannity, well, Hannity, I just tell people things are going to get better in the future. Yeah, Hannity, things are going to get better. Well, I wanted to call him up and say, things aren't going to get better, Handy. I've got news for you. You're going to die. <laughs> you know what? When we say, how can there be a loving God with all this death and suffering, the implication is it's God's fault. You know what we don't want to do? Take responsibility for the fact we committed high treason against the God of creation. Because when you go back to Genesis 2... What do we find? Adam, you can eat of all the trees. There's a test of obedience. There's only one tree you not eat of, because if you do, you'll surely die. And death came into the world because of sin. In fact, I believe the first death was in the garden when, when God clothed Adam and Eve with coats of skins. Why was it coats of skins? You know, elsewhere in the Scripture, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The life of the flesh is in the blood. One of the exhibits of the Creation Museum is Adam and Eve clothed in animal skins, because we forfeited our right to live when we sinned against a holy God, our bodies will die. We're made in the image of God. Our souls are going to live forever. But God had a plan from eternity to save us so we would live forever with him. The penalty for sin has to be paid. The life of the flesh is in the blood. There has to be the shedding of blood. The Israelites sacrificed animals over and over again, looking forward to the time when one would come who would die once and for all, the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe this was the first blood sacrifice as a covering for their sin. If there was the shedding of blood millions of years before sin, what has the shedding of blood got to do with the atonement? In fact, if you believe in millions of years, you've got a problem as a Christian because the millions of years came out of atheism and deism and in that fossil record said to me millions of years before man, there's lots of examples of animals eating each other. The Bible says originally Adam and Eve ate fruit and the animals were vegetarian. It wasn't until after the flood that God said we could eat everything. He says, just as I gave you the plants, now I give you all things, which is the reason you can eat a hot dog, because it is all things. <laughs> See, even the, even the origin of a hot dog is in Genesis. <laughs> in the fossil record, there's evidence of animals eating each other, bones in their stomachs. How could that be when they're all vegetarian to start with? See, everything was very good. Plants don't have a nephesh or life spirit as animals do. They were given for food. There's brain tumors in the fossil record, cancer, arthritis, but God said everything he made was very good. There are fossil thorns in the fossil record. 
But how could that be when thorns came after the curse? These two things can't be true at the same time. Which means, and we'll talk about this tonight, because uh, we're now leading into what I'm going to do tonight. One of the questions I'm going to talk about is the age of the earth and the fossils. When you look at those layers at the Grand Canyon, they're full of dead things. They couldn't have been laid down millions of years before Adam sinned. Is there anything in the Bible to explain how you get layers? Did you know some of those layers at the Grand Canyon extend not just across the continental U.S., but in other continents around the world? Do you realize how massive they are? How could you explain that? Well, the Bible tells us there was a global flood. And if there really was, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. People, it's all there. And I'll show you tonight how those layers couldn't have been formed slowly. The canyon couldn't have been formed slowly. There's an incredible amount of evidence. We'll, we'll deal with those things tonight. But here's the bottom line, because this morning's just the introduction. You realize that, right? There's been a battle between two religions since Genesis 3, God's Word and man's Word. And what's happened in this nation is that increasingly generations have been led to believe God's Word is not true. On the basis of God's Word, we know it's right and wrong. There's an absolute authority. Mar marriage is a man and a woman, male and female. God made the first marriage. Uh, life begins at conception. Therefore, abortion is killing a human being. But the more you have generations of people told God's Word is not true, who believe, no, it's man who determines truth, Marriage, whatever you want to make it to be. Abortion, get rid of spare cats, get rid of spare kids. What's the difference? You're all animals anyway. And people have put it like this. Here we have two castle diagrams. Foundation of God's word, the structure of Christianity, the gospel, doctrines, man's word, secular humanism, moral relativism. The world has attacked God's word. Now that, started attack, that attack occurred in Genesis 3 and it hasn't let up. In this era of history, understanding the times, the attack is focused on the first 11 chapters of the Bible and it's called science, falsely called that way. Much of the church has said, we don't need that part of the Bible, it doesn't matter, we'll keep the rest. But without the whole foundation, like that barn, the structure will collapse. And we look out there and we say, look at all the problems in the culture, gay marriage, abortion. Now, don't get me wrong, they are problems, but they're not the ultimate problem. They're really symptoms of the ultimate problem because the real problem is down here. The real problem is down here. It's a battle between man's word and God's word. And if you think about it, and why do I clarify this? Because I don't want you to get me wrong, because we need to be fighting the abortion issue and the gay marriage issue and so on. But... We've got to do it at three levels, not just one level. See, we spent millions of dollars of Christians' money in America trying to deal with the moral issues, and from a big picture perspective, it really hasn't worked. Maybe little victories here and there, but from a big picture perspective, it hasn't worked. You know why? The Bible doesn't say go into all the world and change the culture. It says go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Here's the point we've got to remember. Hearts and minds change a culture. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And basically what's happened, we've handed generations of our kids over to the world. You change their hearts and minds. You teach them your history. That's okay. We'll tell them about Jesus. They get a different foundation. They capture their hearts and minds. They have a different worldview. And now those kids brought up in the church are voting for gay marriage and for abortion. And what we've got to do is recognize this. The battle is at different levels. There's the foundational battle. We need to be fighting those moral issues and standing up as Christians, as we should. And as I know many Christians even do in, in, in this state and have done. You've had issues over the abortion battle, and I know that. And that, that's great to see Christians doing that. But at the same time, if we're not out there challenging the church that we've got to get back to the authority of the Word of God, and if this culture as a whole doesn't get back to God's Word, ultimately you'll lose the battle anyway. It's really an issue of authority. Well...
I could go on for millions of years. <laughs> but that's a lead up to tonight. I, one of our ministries that's here, as you see in the, in the lobby out there as you come in, one of our ministries is to equip you. It's all very well for me to say we need answers, but people come and say, how do we get the answers? I want the answers. How do I get them? God has raised up specialists with Answers in Genesis to get you those answers. We have an incredible website, uh, AnswersInGenesis.org. I encourage you to go to that. Thousands of articles. has a kid's website, lots of other websites, technical journal website. My book, The Lie Evolution, is really the textbook of this ministry. I encourage you to look at that. It's really what I did this morning in much more detail. And by the way, I just had a brand new book come out this past week, and you were the first group out in the field to be able to uh, get the, uh, know that this is here. It was advertised on our website this week, but uh, I just wrote a book dealing with the age of the earth and the decline of the church and the six days. And that really challenges people concerning that issue of authority. And then the third book, Already Gone, Why Young People Are Leaving the Church. Those three books really, I think, are the classic books of our ministry. And then, the biggest selling creation apologetics books in the world, over the past 35 years, we know the most asked questions people are going to ask because they've asked us those questions over and over again. 130 of the most asked questions with detailed answers. Man, if our teenagers, adults would get equipped with these, what a difference that would make. Difference in their lives to stop the doubt difference in being able to witness to, to non-Christians. I'll show you tonight that most people who believe in evolution don't know why they believe in evolution, can't defend their position, and yet it, Christians aren't really making inroads because they're not equipped to be able to then show them that we can defend our faith. We need to be equipped with answers. We have answers books for middle school age and upwards. And because we know we're losing kids at a young age, we write books for little kids. This is middle school and upwards, beautifully illustrated, a whole walk through the Bible. Dinosaurs are used more than anything to convince kids the Bible's not true. These are for little kids, preschool, kindergarten, grade one, two. And we've seen more kids commit their lives to the Lord through A is for Adam than probably any other. And we have D is for Dinosaur, N is for Noah, beautifully illustrated, notes to go with them. DVDs out there. This is a talk I did recently where I believe that America's under judgment and deals with that and a lot more documentation in there. How do we rescue our kids from this evil age? And we even have DVDs for kids and so on. And so when you go out there, you'll see we have a You Choose program where you can get material at uh, very, very uh, highly discounted rates. And I want to show you this book, Begin. This is one of my favorites for a witnessing tool. And we we've got a special for you here. With the Begin book, when I was a teacher in the public schools in Australia, I had people would come in and they, they would hand out the New Testament to the kids. You know I would groan. You say, why? Well, because most of those kids didn't go to church in Australia and they didn't have the history in Genesis to explain the gospel and didn't have the cosmology to counteract their wrong cosmology. So I always wanted to do this. Put together a witnessing book that had Genesis 1 to 11, the history, Exodus 20, the law, the book of John, the life of Christ, the book of Romans, the gospel in detail, last two chapters of Revelation, new heavens and new earth. That's a summary of the gospel from beginning to end. And then a summary of the Bible in the middle. And then 10 of the most asked questions with short answers to show we can defend our faith. And we offer that to you so that you can get as many as you want. Go out and witness to people. We give it to you at a, a subsidized price. And the talk I gave this morning, a similar sort of talk to that, in fact, 12 of the talks that I give are divided into 30, uh, sorry, six of the talks, 12, uh, divided into 12 30-minute programs with the whole curriculum that goes with them. We also have an Answers magazine, which is an incredible tool to teach the whole family how to defend the faith. It's an award-winning magazine, probably the fourth biggest, biggest Christian magazine in America. It even has a mini-magazine in the middle for kids. 
And uh, if you subscribe, we give you a free DVD for each year to subscribe and so on. You know, one of the things that, that I mentioned there was the flood and the issue of death. And I'm just going to hand back to, to Pastor Danny here as I have a challenge for us. You know, <clears throat> I'll talk a bit about the flood tonight and when I answer questions. Is there any evidence for a flood and how did Noah get the animals on the ark? How could he fit them and so on? You know, there came a time when Noah finished the ark and eight people went on board, the animals God sent, and then the door shut. And then the judgment came. You know, God's word tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into history and said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he'll be saved. As Noah and his family had to go through a doorway to be saved, we need to go through a doorway to be saved. Here's my challenge to us. The door to Noah's ark shut. But the door to our ark of salvation is still open. But one of these days, that's going to shut. You know the parable of the foolish virgins in the New Testament? Do you realize our job as parents, as Christians, is to get as many people as we can and our kids to the door of that ark? We can't force them through. It's God's word that takes them through. But we can get them to the door. Do you know what's happened? The world has used all sorts of things in this era of history to drag our kids, our grandkids and friends and neighbors away from the door of the ark. And sadly, many of us have let that happen. And maybe some of us this morning have to repent before a holy God. And the challenge I want to leave with us is this. What are we doing as parents and grandparents and for our neighbors and friends to war against the Genesis 3 attack of our day to see our kids and our friends on that ark. And I'll hand over to Pastor Danny to close.